What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. I am Ronan Gain. Joining me as always, Chris Nambu. The big trade's gone down. We have another KD-led super team. Bradley Beal is headed to Phoenix. The draft is just three days away. We're going to be taking a look at some of the outsiders, but still lottery picks that maybe aren't getting enough uh, enough highlights, enough uh, enough talk on them, and possibly some some lower down guys that could uh, could produce to a to a higher level than uh, likely their draft pick. But before we get into that, just want to say thanks to all of you for listening, and make sure to like, subscribe, and comment, and we'll keep producing that content, Chris. What's going on? How are you? What's up, man? I'm good. Um, I'll, I'll give full disclosure here. We, we we just got done talking about, we're going to talk about the Suns. And uh, I feel like there's been so much news happening ever since the championship that I totally forgot about Frank Vogel and the Suns. So th- this just goes to show the <laughs> just how, how much news changes and how much there, there is to forget. We I probably forget more than I, I remember on a day-to-day basis with the NBA. But we got the draft on Thursday, and we got to get into it. There are a couple names we want to talk about, but of course, we got to go Bradley Beal first. Man, like first, first reaction. What, what's your what's your gut take on that? Because I I was preparing for a Heat meeting there. Maybe he's going to go to the Heat. I was thinking a a maybe maybe uh, thinking about a a Celtics move. And I'm glad they didn't because we talked about why that was a terrible idea. But I, I thought it felt like all signs were pointing pointing to the heat. And now we got the Suns coming out of nowhere, and they're just all in on this this team they got here. And I can't lie to you. I feel like first reaction that I had was just thinking about, all right, the Nets just did something similar. And th- these are different players, and we'll get into why. Maybe that's the wrong gut reaction to have. But you put all your chips into three players, and this is the complete opposite of what the CBA was meant to do. The CBA was meant to prevent teams from really going all in on three players. And they're like, you know, we don't care. We have Kevin Durant, we have Devin Booker. They just come in for 70 points in the playoff game. And if we had just a little bit more, then we're beating the now championship team, the Denver Nuggets. And they're doing it. And kudos to them. But Ronan, first thoughts. What, what what's, your, what's your gut feeling now that Brad Beal, the real deal, is out there in Phoenix? I mean, it's it's obviously it's cool. You always love when these teams get put together because you just think of what could be on uh, on the offensive side. We could see absolutely outrageously good offensive play. But the the main hook for this this Phoenix team wasn't their offense. Their offense could easily play through Devin Booker and and Kevin Durant. That wasn't what any other issue. It was their defense, and now they've gone all in on this. They they've gone in, all in on this new big tree. Kevin Durant obviously just can only function within uh, a big three. He he's just, he's scared of any other uh, any any other outcome. They've only got five players signed right now, and they've committed a hell of a lot of money to them. They've only got Aiton Booker, KD, Beal, and Campaign. They've got to build the rest of their roster and build a championship contender, build a team that's capable of beating the Denver Nuggets. And when your defensive core is built on Aiton. Booker and Durant, I'm thinking that's not going to get you a championship. Their offense, no doubt, is going to be elite. Maybe possibly best in the league by a mile. But defensively, I think they're going to leave a lot to desire and I don't think it makes that difference for them that they needed. 
Yeah, I, that's obviously going to be the most difficult thing. It's, it's the depth. I mean, that's my first question too. It's it's how much depth are you going to put together now that um, I believe they will not be able to sign any MLEs now that they have uh, Durant, they have Booker, they have Beal. Under the new CBA, you can't go out and offer a Jay Crowder-esque player an MLE. You can't go offer a Dylan Brooks type of guy with MLE, a Joe Ingles, a, I don't know, a just just going down the line, a, a Jeff Green type of player, Justice Winslow kind of guy. Those are guys that are going to command MLEs, and those are important contracts. I mean, you you saw what a, a guy like Bruce Brown did for the Nuggets. I mean, you get guys like that um, on those bargain contracts, guys like that who fit your team, your culture, what you're trying to do with this amount of talent, like, that's what really pushes you over the edge. And it's going to be tough for them to find that. But, I mean, they're going to be working with vet minimums. Um, and I thought, you know, we might as well address that question right now. Biggest thing that they're missing right now in, in your head, um, not just the depth, but from what position are you feeling like they're they're lacking the most? I guess center and center, center and would you say wing was was wing the right as a center wing depth? Is that what what you're kind of looking at because of what the, the struggles you see from Aiton and the likelihood that they may have to move Aiton to try and uh, try and just add that little bit more bit more depth? But uh, they're kind of the main spots because obviously they got the guards. They got like you don't worry too much when you have campaign, you have Booker, you have Beal. So you think that'll kind of take care of itself, but uh, the the front court is kind of where where you kind of look at it, and you think there's not as many options as they uh, they have uh, in terms of kind of back back court support that they can get in compared to the front court. Yeah, they. I think the wing, the wing is an interesting answer because I think um, for me it's like either you're worried about the wing, but you're definitely worried about the point guard, and that depends on like how how the the Suns want to play this. Depends how Frank Vogel um, wants to set this team up offensively. Is Devin Booker going to be more of a lead guard, have the ball in his hands, having him take the ball to the court? Because he did it in the playoffs. He did it in the playoffs. And I think that was it was fascinating to see him do that because I think um, a lot of people, including myself, kind of looked at at Book as the guy who, you know, they did the point guard experiment. They did the, the James Harden uh, shooting guard, point guard type thing. And that led to him being an inefficient player, but he's evolved. I mean, he's, he's had tremendous strides and maybe he's, they look at him as he can be a lead guard. They don't have to worry too much that that's a vet minimum deal that whoever they get in fine. Um, on the wing that that's a difficult thing. Cause Beal is a, you know, for all intents and purposes, not a good defender. It's a bad defender. Uh, Booker is a much improved defender for sure. I mean, he, he is a good defender, um, I mean, just seeing all the effort he put out in the playoffs, what he did, I think proves to me that he can defend one through some three. But I, I think having Booker on the wing and having Booker also be a primary playmaker, that's something that's going to be that's going to push him to the limit. And I, I think that you want to put your best players in easier positions. You don't you don't want to stress a guy who's such a pure scorer, like even just taking the ball out of his hands a little bit to just have like campaign, bring the ball up. Like that's, that's huge for him, for his energy, for the amount that he was doing in the playoffs. Um, I think honestly, a couple of the guys that they have in their team right now, I mean, can Josh Okogie come back? Would he be happy to come back? I mean, he had his, his stints at the beginning of the season. He had 
um, you know, crazy run from three from the corner, what he's doing as a cutter, what he's been doing as a cutter his whole career um, in the open court. Um, that's a guy that I think, you know, they might want to keep around. Um, even Tory Craig might want to keep him around. But when you look on the free agent market, uh, that's where it gets a little tough. Um, you want to keep TJ Warren, but I mean, that's not exactly the kind of way that you, you want to keep. I think some people are, are thinking maybe give him a second chance from an offensive point of view, but I think they have plenty of offense to go around. They need, they need guys who, they need guys who are going to be able to switch. They need guys who are going to be able to um, play big. Cause like you said, the, the big situa- situation is tenuous. You don't know if Aiton's going to be your center here. Um, and I think that's, that's a lot, that's a lot of posturing. I, I think there's no news right now. Like, Oh, they're going to move on from Aiton. But I think given the amount of change and the fact that Chris Paul is leaving, there there may not be as much value to to Aiden. I mean, Aiden is get, could have a tremendous opportunity here to to play with these guys again. Um, but you don't know. Um, so you need a guy who's going to be able to play big too. I mean, it, the the list is is pretty thin. I mean, people have brought up Yuta. I mean, Yuta's a shooter. Yuta's not really going to be able to to take on any opportunities as on defense at the four position. Um, interestingly enough, Jalen McDaniels, a guy who I don't think would be a, a unrestricted, I don't think he would be a, a vet minimum type of guy. So that there's, there are guys on the market that potentially could be that guy. Um, but I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to afford them. That That's going to be the tough part. So they're going to have to stick. I think with, if a Kogi and Craig are willing to come back, that might be the best thing that they can do from the wing position. Yeah, I think that's fair. Then in terms of bigs, do you think there's any way they could afford either Pirtle or Brook Lopez? Or do you just think there's no chance on that? They, they'd have to be, I mean, are they the kind of guy that are just like, just give me a champ. I want in on a championship. Let's do it. If that were the case, then why wouldn't Brook just stay with Milwaukee? Hmm. Yeah, no. Why wouldn't well, he that's do that? I, I think he'd be more likely to to I think he's happy in Milwaukee. I think he's got found a good place for him there. I would mm-hmm. just think from a son's point of view, I would be aggressively pursuing a guy yeah. like Brooke Lopez. So if we're yeah, if we're just talking about like um we're just talking about guys in the market, let's go through them right now. Brooke Lopez, no. Busevich, no. Hurdle, no. And from a financial point of view, like he is not he is now entering uh you know, the prime of his career and now being regarded as one of the best shot blockers in the league. Why is he going to take Bettman? He's not. And the thing with the Bettman too, I think it's, it's very easy for, um, I think Suns fans, any, any fans of teams that have just received a star and are entering up a period of uh, contention are like, Hey, why wouldn't he come here to win a championship? Well, listen, I mean, that's not the only team that can win a championship. There's plenty of other teams out there. And for these guys, the second you take a vet minimum contract, that's it. Like you're a vet minimum guy. Like it's very, it's very hard, and I can't think of any players off the top of my head. When you take a vet minimum contract, that's what you're getting for pretty much it, the rest of your career. So anyone who's under the age of of thirty, it's not happening. Under the age of thirty four, really, it's very rare for it to happen unless you're a pure, pure like mid late rotation kind of guy. Um, Mason Plumley, maybe sure. I mean, does that get you excited? I mean, not not really. He's fine. He does things. Um, Nas Reed, man, he would be fun, right? Like what he, what he's done off the bench for, uh, the T-Wolves, 
uh, really being one of the best shooting bigs in the league. Um, he's not taking a vetment. Definitely not. Um, here's one guy. Uh, I, I don't know if I love this option necessarily, but Thomas Bryant, he's a young guy that might have to take a vet minimum. Mm, yeah, maybe. I mean, like he, he's, he's one of those young players in a situation where it's like people are kind of forgetting who he is. People are forgetting that he plays basketball because he just won a championship and no one even knew he was on the team. And he, he's done some things in Washington where like you could see him being a starting big in this league, but it hasn't showed up. Um, I mean, is, is <laughs> Drew Eubanks, if they bring back Biz, Bismack Biombo, I mean, the Bismack Biombo, Biombo looked like a child playing next to Jokic. Again, that's terrible. Everyone's going to look pretty bad. But it, it just goes to show there's, there's definitely, there's definitely a lack of obvious answers in free agency. Um, the obvious answer is there, Chris. Come on. Dwight Howard, get him back in there. No better. <laughs> hey, no, okay. Seriously, though. Seriously, though. Can can Dwight Howard play 15 minutes a game? Can Dwight Howard play 15 minutes a game? It's Vogel. It's Vogel. Does he does he trust to bring him back? Um, you you just need a guy who's going to be able to play, play in the drop, who's going to be able to give you a little rim protection, um, so I don't know. If, is that an upgrade over, over Biombo? Maybe. Probably. Probably. Ish. A little bit. I, I mean, Biombo's not giving you some room protection. But yeah, again, there's more, no obvious answers here. Um, and that's from the center position. You don't know if, if there's, if there's maybe a way to fix that by trading Aiton. Um, I mean, you're, you're the one who brought that up. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. Or maybe, do you want to get into that now? Or we get into no, the point no, guards a bit we'll, of it? We'll go point guard. We'll go point guard. We'll go point guard. <laughs> okay. Uh, that one's, I think, is a little bit easier. A little little bit easier. Um, Gabe Vincent, before anyone says Gabe Vincent, dude, guys, Gabe Vincent is not taking a vet minimum deal. That's not, it's just not happening. Um, but some people that I think would. You got Pat Bev, Javon Carter, Reggie Jackson, Corey Joseph. Guys who are serviceable point guards, especially I mean Pat Bev and Javon Carter, that does that does a lot for me. That does a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you you need guys next to um, Book. You need guys next to Beal that are going to be able to hold it down defensively. And those are guys that absolutely can hold it down defensively. I mean, hell, if you even got both, <laughs> if you manage to get both those guys, just get a little bit. You always have one of those guys on the floor just flying around, playing defense, giving effort, and I mean that that's the least that you can ask. Um I don't love the idea of campaign playing 28 30 minutes a night um at the point guard position. Hmm. Um I have nightmares about it, really. It's it's not I I've seen, I saw it for years in Chicago and uh never want to see it again. And for all the for all the random moments that he had in, in Phoenix, it just never it never culminated when it mattered. And I think he's a guy that's a spark plug and not a guy that you want to to run too much offense or so I mean those those things right there. I think you you can you can find serv- a serviceable backcourt with any one of those five names. Pat Bev, Javon Carter, Reggie Jackson, Corey Joseph, guys who would actually take the vet minimum and would actually just be uh tremendous in that team. Yeah, guys like George George Hale and, and Dennis Schroeder as well. Like obviously I think Schroeder yeah. will, if Schroeder's gonna continue, he'll probably go back to the Lakers, but 
yeah those guys are are there too they're 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 capable enough and they're definitely w- w- with what the money you're working with they they have to be options uh could they, could they end up bringing in a guy like Danny Green in I guess possibly can he still was, play uh, I don't knows, know but, <laughs> who knows but I mean the 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 options are going to keep getting thinner and thinner because I mean not every single player in the league is going to want to be available for the Suns so they're going to have to keep their options very broad and uh I think we looking at it before. They've only got one second round pick this year, so I mean they, yeah. they they've got they've only got five players signed. Like they they really have to be smart here, and they have a lot of players to to sign to to bring in a, to have a complete roster and have a team that's that's not going to be centered around just the 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 big tree, and then those guys are going to be burned out by the time they get to the playoffs. That's not what they want either. Yeah. Um... I, I think the I think from a point guard perspective it'll be fine. The wing position, like we talked about, will be tough, and the center position, we'll see. We'll let's talk now about Aiton. But one name to mention though is Jock Landell. I, I don't I don't know the ins and outs well enough to know what that negotiation will look like because he's only on a one year deal. They do have his cap hold, but if Jock Landell stays for a vet for a minimum, that's a just a massive win for the Suns. I mean, he did. He did way more than he should have had to do in the playoffs. I mean, to the point where Monty was playing him over Aiden down the stretch in certain games. But depth-wise, I mean, that that's a name to look out for. But Aiden, what, what's our what's our final answer? Is is <laughs> do you have what, what do you have up your sleeve? Are you trading him for? Do you have motivation to trade him, or does he now find himself in a in a just as good of a situation, if not better? than he was last year. I mean, for him as a player, I think he's in the best situ in a in a great situation. Like why would you want to leave a team that are all in on winning that title and all in on uh, on having the best possible team, the best possible offense as a player like Aiden, why would you want to leave that? But then again, from a from a Suns point of view, we just saw Aiton get absolutely dominated by the number one team who are the number one team now in, in the West. And are you really thinking, oh, no bother, we'll, we'll just come back again next year and, and, and Aiton will be better? Do you really have that belief? I think from an from Aiton's point of view, I think he's living the dream. I think he's he's happy out there. But from a son's point of view, if you're really going all in on this winning this title, you have to be exploring your options with Aiden. Yeah, it, it's really tough, man, because like it, players like, I mean, you saw LeBron do this. LeBron was so good that teams questioned, like, it, it, are our players good enough? <laughs> and the answer is when you compare him to LeBron James, that no, they're not. You're not going to find a wing to stop LeBron James. You're not going to find a wing to be better than LeBron James. The answer is Jokic is an all-time great player. And I, I think teams are going to have to get away from, and the media especially are going to have to get away from, you know, looking at the performances of other players in comparison and saying, hey, they, they didn't figure it out against them. Maybe they need to change things up. I, I think the answer is is more than just Aiton getting a replacement for Aiton. Because honestly, I, I think you there's no there's no player outside of getting someone like Joel Embiid or. Um, even even Jakobur, there's you can't name a big, a defensive big that's going to stop what Jokic does, ever. And somehow Jokic has snuck his way into this podcast. 
I, I don't know how. Um, but Aiton's offense, though, I, I think that's that's where the concern is. Um, for him, not for not for us. I, I think I think Aiton being a fourth option on this team makes him have the easiest life ever. Like he, and th- there are times where you know he really took advantage of this, this season. Like when when they would um, stretch the floor out, space out the floor with with Durant and bend defenses with Devin Booker working in the pick and roll. Like A would just be wide open for pick and pops, and he loves that game. He he loves that mid range pick and pop. He loves maybe it, on a switch, he's going to get a smaller guy to, to go to work with in the posts. And I think, you know, he had some good, some good moments in the DHO. Um, but that, that's going to have to ha- happen a lot more the the playmaking aspect. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how well he's going to do as a playmaker um, because that that's going to be a, a major requirement from his end is to, to be a facilitator. Cause I think Brad Beal, if we if we take a look at at how he plays, I mean he's he's an excellent off ball mover. He and so same thing with book book plays so well off the ball when he's given that opportunity. And you take away Chris Paul, and so much of the offense is now going to have to run through their their shot happy guards. And these are guards that are fantastic shooters. These are guards who are going to really make really good offense. But does that therefore mean that you know Aiden kind of disappears from that picture completely? Because Chris Paul is is setting him up. All the time. I mean, we, we saw Aiton blossom once Chris Paul got there, and that really did wonders for his efficiency. That did wonders for, for him to develop as a player. And now that he doesn't have that point guard, now that it's such a tenuous situation for him in Phoenix to begin with, does it even make sense for him as a player to continue here for himself, to be a fourth option on this team, even if that means a championship? I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's tough. I guess how much how much belief does he have in his in his own playmaking? How is he going to be accepting of playing that role? Is another another question. It's obviously the big biggest decision for any player to make, especially a guy like him came into the league as a as a, a number one overall pick. Thought he was going to be this this uh, top level consistent all star player, and slowly but surely he's kind of fallen down the pecking order in Phoenix. And now it's in a situation where they're all in. They've got three elite scorers and shooters on their team. And he's just going to be an afterthought. Does he, can he accept that? I don't know. But can he also think on the side of, I can take great advantage of this. No one's even going to be thinking about me. Teams aren't even going to be thinking about me. I'm going to have so many open looks. I'm going to be able to take advantage of so many uh, people doing double teams on Booker, doing double teams on, on, on Durant, on Beal. He's going to have so many open looks. I can really develop my game as a facilitator and be a key contributor on a championship team. That's a big question for Aiton. And I guess you you want to say that Aiton is the only one who can decide that. But at the same time, the Suns could turn around tomorrow and say, right, we've got a good offer for you. You're out as well. So it's a kind of, it, it, it's a, it's a tough one. I, I, it's it's like can Aiton bend himself, or does he just want to go to an easier situation where pressure's off and he can kind of just do what he does? If you want to be a winner, I think he's got to go to option B. Take uh, stay in Phoenix, accept the role, become a better facilitator, and take advantage of the open spaces and the open looks he's going to get uh, playing with these these three stars. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. Um, but you know, 
Vegas isn't always the, the best predictor of things, but I mean, Vegas gives us an idea and Vegas isn't super far off. Um, you, you look at the top five teams that are uh, now being betted to take Aiton to uh, to trade for him. And we got the maps, number one. The, the I I don't know how this would work, but then you look at the maps and actually this is kind of a, this, this may kind of makes sense a little bit. I mean, you look at the amount of contracts they have, they've been able, after moving off of Porzingis, they've, split those contracts up and they've, they've balanced things out except for uh, having Kyrie now with a, he's going to be making 39 million next year. But I mean, you, you got a Davis Bertans, you got a Dwight Powell, you got a Maxi Kleber, you have a JaVale McGee. You have guys that, you know, if we're talking about this front court problem that the Suns are going to have, you know, filling that up and, and getting guys who, who play, play defense um I, I think the way that Vogel is going to want to play won't demand as much switching as uh they saw with Jason Kidd there in uh in Dallas but I mean th- those are those are guys that you know I, I think they they really want to get in a a star center there in Dallas they, they want to get a guy that can can really have gravity going to the rim you know they they've never really had that guy, I thought it would be there in Christian Wood. Christian Wood ended up being more of a, a pick-and-pop threat. But, I mean, that that's a team that I think makes a little bit more sense the more you think about it. But, I mean, what, what do you think about that fit? First of all, for for Dallas, how, how motivated would you be for for them to make that work? And for Aiton, how excited would, would he be to then be getting to work with a guy like Doncic and a guy like Irving who could really facilitate in the pick-and-roll, who could really facilitate – uh, a big in the post. Yeah, I think yeah that I think that will be a good fit for Aiton. I think anywhere where there's an elite point guard, uh, I think Aiton will be capable of thriving. It's just a question with Dallas. I'd be looking at and thinking, okay, so you're instead of improving the defense is what you need to do. You're actually going to make it worse. That's that's the angle you're going for, and you're going to going for offense again. I mean. That's that's where I look at it from a Dallas point of view, from an Aiton point of view, from the fit. I think Doncic would be happy with a guy like Aiton. I think Aiton would be delighted to play with a guy like him. You see Kyrie possibly play a bit more off ball in that situation. You think they could be they could produce similar levels to what we saw Aiton produce alongside CP3 and Booker, which was pretty damn good and uh, for 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 large periods. So I mean the fit is right. It suits you question mark for Dallas you're kind of like is this really where you think you're going to improve and definitely get back into the playoffs next year I'm not so sure I, I think I think so I, they haven't had real production um, from the center position and I think Aiton's proven to be I mean Aiton's a, a much better defender than Christian Wood and I, I think Christian yeah, Wood just has not provided anything defensively which um, I, I, it's crazy I, I I probably was the number one Christian Wood fan and, and thought this was going to go somewhere crazy. This would be his all-star win. That's, uh, yeah, how many times I'm wrong and shows how much I know about basketball, I guess. But um, what, what about, <laughs> I guess I'll answer this for myself. The Bulls are the number two on this list. And that's what really shocked me the most. Um, and again, I mean, you, you look at the Bulls and it kind of makes sense. I mean, look at the players that they could have from that team. Caruso, Javante Green. Um, Derek Jones Jr. I I don't know if again this is the, the whole legal thing with it. If he picks up his player option, 
if that's going to be able to be traded. I, I think that is the case. I think they could trade that. Um, but even just naming those three guys and even just thinking about the, the tenure situation with, uh, with um, Vucevic, you don't know what Vucevic is going to sign for. You don't know what he's necessarily looking for. But I think everybody knows the elephant in the room is that Vooch, while he's a fantastic player, is not enough for the Bulls, on the Bulls, for them to compete. Um, and I, and I, I really am interested in how this might play out if, if they did a sign and trade there because Vooch... Vooch can do a lot of things that they need. Vooch is one of, I mean, he's a very underrated passer. I mean, he's a guy that you can, you can pass the ball to him in the mid post. And I, I think he can do a lot of things that Aiton cannot do. Um, the playmaking he can do um, to allow for Booker to continue playing off ball, to allow for Beal especially to be doing that. Um, I mean, the, the pick and pop game, the pick and roll game, and him playing at the low post. I, I think low post wise, I mean, Aiton, is is younger can do that a lot more gets a lot more opportunity but i i think vooch really replicates a lot of what aiden does offensively and i don't really see a massive massive drop off between both of them uh defensively i mean it, vooch is a better rebounder that's a fact he's a better rebounder than than nathan he's a better passer than nathan um not a better shot blocker for sure but how often are you seeing aiden block shots um, how often are you seeing him make the biggest difference at the biggest stage? Not too often. I I I don't see why that wouldn't be a huge motivation for them if if Vooch was willing to to sign a deal that would make sense there for them to pick up Caruso, a guy who has made championship differences, a guy who Vogel freaking loved. The guy who's really able to to make love. what coach wouldn't love Alex, and Alex Caruso? Let's be honest. I know. But I, mean, I mean, he won a he won a championship with the guy. Um, so I I, don't, I actually see a situation in which they would be getting offensively the center that they need for this system. They'd be getting a point guard who would make a world of a difference defensively for them, and they'd be getting a role player. Uh, who could fill things in on the wing and make a tremendous impact defensively and in the open court. Um, it's hard to find a combination of role players, star role players like that um, amongst these teams. And I just injected that with all sorts of bulls bias there. So I need you to tell me whether or not that's a crazy, crazy proposition or not. Let me know. Do you really think that's that's how much value you place on on a guy like Aiden? You think you get Vooch, Caruso, and who and who else? Vooch, Caruso, and Javante, or maybe either oh, Javante sure. or Dick. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's not showing all your buys there. I mean, that's that's giving a very favorable, a very favorable deal to a team that that need that that like kind of need to turn one player into two into two or three. I, I actually quite like that. I like that fit uh, both ways. I think I like what you're saying about Vooch. I think the passing would be would be a big uh, big difference maker. And obviously, they're not going to be able to get an elite top-level center or anything like that. And adding a guy like Caruso, Caruso's the definition of the type of player any competitor needs. Like, it's simple as that. He's like him, like, like you see Bruce Brown, like we see with the 
with many other guys. This he's that he's got that dog in him as a defender. He has a nice upside on, on the offensive end as well. He wasn't won't demand the ball too much, but will be you won't have to worry about the ball being in his hands. And then getting a role player that can definitely just get, can fill in a few minutes off the bench. That's another thing that they're going to need. I think that's it. That's a that's a that's an interesting deal. I think that'd be something that if it was on the cards, I I, I think both teams would uh, would be very interested in that. Yeah, I I I saw the Bulls area and I thought it was laughable, and you know, just even starting to dig a little deeper into the opportunity there. You know, it, it's. It's not something that I think is nothing to look at, because um, then you look at the the next teams. I mean, the, the third team would be the Hawks and Clint Capella, um, or John Collins. I think of the two, Clint Capella would be probably the guy that they'd be a little bit more interested in uh, from a defensive perspective. Um, that and I I don't want to touch Horton, Hornets or, or Magic. Those those teams are way too volatile right now. Um, I don't. I don't know if there's a three-team trade you do with the uh, the Magic and the Bulls for the Bulls to get their pick back here. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at any rate, I, I think there's there's a lot of opportunity for for Aiden. And when you ask me about like the the value, I I think that it's it's really difficult for. I'll, I'll empathize a little bit with with Aiden that you know it takes a lot of sacrifice to win a championship. He could be doing probably bigger things on a non-competing team that's that's certainly a possibility um and i think you know it's not always about championships for players who have not made their way in this league who have not um achieved what they've wanted to on an individual uh basis in this league so maybe from his perspective that's that's something and i think that teams would want to win and with him i i think there are teams out there that still see the talent and still see the potential for him to do more um, and that for whatever reason, that just didn't work out with him in Monty. It didn't work out with him uh, in Phoenix. And, you know, again, maybe this is a moot point, but I think he could still be excellent with his team and he could compete for a championship with his team. And it's all it will take is just a little bit of buy-in, but mm-hmm. well, that's, that's to be seen. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the big thing with Aiden. Obviously then finish it off then. Wizards, they got Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, multiple seconds and multiple swaps. They did that just to get rid of their 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 star player. I mean, they're obviously very concerned with getting off that that massive contract. That's kind of the way it feels like with this trade. Maybe there was some dodgy dealings going on with with Beal. Obviously, his was it his agent is this the father of the the son CEO or <laughs> the, whatever. The son, the son of the uh, the CEO of the uh, Phoenix Suns. Uh, yes. Yeah, like it's uh, it's it's interesting, and like I I I'd be shocked. I think it's almost guaranteed that Chris Paul will never play a game for the Washington Wizards. I, I I'd be be shocked to see to see him in playing in a Wizards uniform. Shamit. Yeah, just a solid enough player, but I mean, you, you really didn't get back much for your star. And I know they're trying to loop in possibly a third team into this, and the Clippers are possibly going to pursue getting Chris Ball. But even with that, what are the Clippers really going to offer you? Not that much. So it's going to be interesting to see where the Wizards go from here. Obviously, it is important to them to to free up some room to possibly extend both Porzingis and Kuzma. I'd say that's something that they're looking at. 
and obviously get I guess just why have the pressure off. Yeah, no, we won't, we won't get into that. Have the pressure off on on some of the young guys that they do have that that they can just start to uh, start to really develop their games as well because they do have a few a few young bits of talent and they're obviously picking in the top ten as well this uh, this year. Yeah, I that would be a shame if they 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 kept it on with with Porzingis. I think uh, you know they need to get out of medi- mediocrity fast. If if the if I am screaming for the Bulls to to make changes, I, I think Washington Wizards fans should be screaming even harder because the the level of mediocrity that they are headed for is the worst. They're, they're not going to be a playing team, and they're going to be right there at eight. They're going to be right there at nine. They're not going to be the worst team, and it, it's just time to it's time to pull the plug. I mean, Porzingis has no business being on a team like this. Um, I think he could be he could be a a contributor for a really good team. There's no business for Kuzma to be on a team like this. He could be contributing on a bigger team and let let your let your um let your Johnny Davises of the of the world take over for that kind of team and, and see what you have there. Rock with what you got there. Danny Avdia see see what he can do with a little bit more time on the ball. Um but yeah that's 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 gonna be I, I feel really bad for for the Wizards honestly. The, the, the moment of silence for for the Wizards because I mean, they had their moments, man. They they had their moments with John Wall, and Beal, and uh, Kelly Oubre, and the the talent that they had there, and you know they were right there with battling with the Celtics at times. And I, I think they they had times where like you know they maybe they're gonna compete to be the best in the East. You know, look look at Beal; he's, he's starting to come up. Beal's an up and coming All NBA caliber player. Uh, then John Wall gets hurt. Beal's hurt all the time, and it's it's been a very slow burnout to a. You know something that should have ended three years ago. The 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 fact that they signed this insane contract with this no trade clause it it not only screwed them but we'll see how this goes. For the Suns. This is a massive gamble for the Suns as well. You know we're not even going to address all the negatives. Like, um, you know at, at the end of the day, like this is this is going to be this is going to be a team that breaks records. The, the the Suns are, but they but whether they whether or not it pays off with the ultimate prize. I mean they just took on a Probably the worst, and I say worst, I don't mean Bradley Beal is the worst player that's being paid that much, but for a no-trade clause as well, player option in the fourth year, I mean, that is the least team-friendly deal in the entire NBA, and they just took it on in the, in the middle of their championship window. So that's uh, that's going to be tough. Yeah, they've gone, on, they've gone on in, they've gone full nets. It's literally championship or bust. If they do not win a championship, this this whole experiment is a failure. It's just, it's it, it's as simple as that. Yeah. Shall we uh, get on to the draft here? Let's get on to the draft. I think I think it's time. Let's do it. Um, I'll, I'll pose this to you because I, I think this is, I think this is just fun. There, there's so many, I, I suggest if you, whoever's listening out there have not gotten to it, if you are an athletic subscriber, Sam Vecini does the, the craziest draft prep um more than we could ever possibly have time to know or get into here if you're a nerd like that amazing if you have not uh checked out kevin o'connor's draft guide amazing stuff there too if, if you're in, if you're a nerd like me and like you to get in all these players highly suggest it um but i think it's a fun time to just like like we say every year like see some exciting young players and and kind of do projections and and it's all it's all guesswork i mean scouts do it at the best and we do it at the worst, but we still have fun doing it. So that's why we do it every year. 
Um, so just looking at these players, for, for players not named, uh, Webinyama, Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, is there any names out there that you've seen where you're like intrigued, where you're interested in, and, and you're like catching your eye? Like this, this could be a player that I'm turning on the television to watch, that I, I'm, I'm excited to see them play. Oh, well, I mean, I think the obvious one is Cam, is Cam Whitmore. I think he's mm. the kind of guy watch just watches his his highlight reel. This guy is going to be a walking highlight reel in the NBA. It's just the question mark is is that all he's going to be, or is he going to be that that difference maker? Is he going to be that kind of guy who's off flash but no real delivery? I think he's got an equal chance. That's where there's kind of some hesitation with him. I think he's got an equal t- chance of being a guy who's a franchise changer or a guy who's a walking highlight reel. But as the years go on, people just continue to realize that he's doing these great things, but not actually delivering any consistent playoff or championship success. Mm. Yeah, let's jump into camp because I, that's a guy that I think is not, um, he shot up draft boards pretty early. And, but he's not gotten the same hype that, you know, obviously Scoot, Miller, and Webinyama have. And, it, and it's hard to get any hype when, like, you know, everything's about Webinyama. Like, it, it's hard not to be enamored and stuck on that name. But Cam Whitmore is a fascinating player. Uh, I mean, just, just physically, too. I mean, he's near he's near 6'7", um, 235, 7-foot wingspan. And that, that 235 – that shows on tape. I mean, he, he's a guy that I think blends really nicely his size with his speed because number one on offense, like you can't knock him off his shot. Like he, he really gets to his spots wherever he wants to go and good defense even isn't going to really rattle him. I mean, he's, he's really able to to get wherever he wants to go. Um, and when you get into the low post, I mean, he's got really great footwork too. And he uses his strength and his size to get there. So I, it's it's cool to see a player like that, a wing like that, because I think that a lot of these uh, classic like uh, lottery style players, like an Amen Thompson, we'll, we'll get into, uh, super athletic wing could get above the rim, really first step. But Cam Whitmore not only does he have a great first step, not only does he have a killer crossover and really great handles for his size, but I mean he can bully down low. And he can he can step through. He can um, attack switches. He can play in the post. I mean, offensively, I mean, I think he has a lot of potential. But I, I think you are also absolutely right about the uh, the potential, the the bus potential for him. Because I think if if he was getting kind of the praise that I think he should be getting in terms of like what the flashes he's shown offensively, um, shooting off the bounce and all that I talked about he also doesn't have a lot of um, passing chops. We got the lowest uh, assist percentage of probably any lottery pick in years. Just does not play me. He's very much a black hole to pass on the ball. But at that also, I will say, I, I don't know how much a product that is of him or Villanova not having a lot of uh, playmakers. They just relied on Kanda to get to his shot. But I think there, there's definitely situations in which uh, he would benefit from not having to be a, a primary playmaker, from not having the ball too much, a place where he could learn some discipline and, and figure that out. And uh, do you have any teams that maybe like where like where would you want to see Cam play? Like see, seeing what he's capable of, seeing uh, the the potential, the the good side, and also kind of seeing the negatives. Like what 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 team in that kind of like four to 
to seven range, three to seven, eight range? What what team would be best suited to develop him? I guess you'd look at, at both the Pistons and the Rockets. I think I'd maybe like to see him more in Detroit because I think obviously you know they have Kay Cunningham. He's going to be the lead point guard. He's going to be the guy who has the ball in his hands most often. I think playing with a coach like Monty Williams, I think he will demand him to to develop his game to to become a less selfish player. And there you add that super athletic kind of wing guard combo alongside the guys like Ivy, alongside a guy like mm-hmm. Duran. I think the fit is really good there. And especially if his three point shot continues to develop, I think it 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 slowly looked better. It's kind of a bit up and down, but if he gains a bit more consistency in that. The Pistons really need that. They need it. They need a guy who can shoot, and if he can do that without, especially as a as an off ball player, that makes a huge difference, and that kind of raises his ceiling up that little bit more as well. Maybe then he can develop into getting the ball a bit more. But I think from a starting point, I think the Pistons would be a good fit for him. Oh yeah, I I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of mock drafts are, are showing him to the Pistons, and I I absolutely love that. I love that fit for that exact reason. You have you have a system that's blossoming right now. I mean, it's it's unfortunate that Cade was hurt for the year because you would have wanted to see another year of development from him. But you've seen what he can do. You can see how you know effective a floor general he is. And you got to see also Jaden Ivey is you know exactly as advertised. He really started to get better as the year went on. Uh, and having two primary playmakers like that, one that is a true floor general. And the other that really is able to create gravity at the rim, you know, getting downhill, Jaden Ivey, what, what he can do there. There's going to be so many opportunities for for uh, Cam Whitmore. And he's a guy that I think will have time then. You know, he won't have to prove anything on ball. He won't have to, to prove, like, hey, can you play make? No, like, he doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to, to try and fix right now a – a massive uh, weakness of his. He can just focus on his strengths, which is, you know, he, he gets the ball, that the ball swings to him um, after, you know, Jaden Ivey's collapsed the defense, after Cade has dissected the defense, and Kim Whitmore has an opportunity, whether it's being a cutter, whether it's being a shooter. Um, he's a guy, too, that shot 40% off catch and shoot, albeit on, on lower volume. Um, he's able to do that, and he's able to, you know, be relocate as a shooter. He's able to attack closeouts now. He, you know, he's able to maybe attack some switches if, if Jaden Ivey and, and Cade are, are creating some chaos in offense. Like, he'll just have so much more opportunities with two very good playmakers, and he won't be put on a, a team like, you know, maybe maybe a team like the Rockets, where I, I would worry about him there. I would worry about the fit uh, where Jalen Green is still trying to figure out how to be a playmaker, and that's probably not his, his future. His future is not to be a point guard slash shooting guard, a guy who is going to set the table. So I think if he lands to the Pistons, I mean that that's that's a another another young talent that also fits. And I mean I'm really excited for that team. I, I don't know if it comes together this year, but we've seen the effect that Monty Williams can have on on young players and and creating culture, talk about culture, culture, culture. But we saw it in the playoffs. And you got to see it from these young teams, and that that could be a major difference between a team like that, a team like the Rockets, and and how these young guys develop and how they accept their role, because that that's a it's always a huge part of how these players develop for sure. 
Yeah, I think Cat Whitmore on the whole, I think he's the guy outside the top three who definitely has the highest ceiling. He definitely has the most potential in terms of offensive upside and uh, athleticism as well. He could go from being a a two-star potential all-star or even a, the lead star on a team that can score 25 a game. He could, he could go that way. He could go the other way too. The defense could be really lacking. The The shot might not come down. He, he might not ever learn to be that kind of unselfish player, add that playmaking you need to really handle the ball consistently in the NBA. But I think in terms of upside, I think he's right up there as the, the top prospect outside of the, uh, obviously the big three. And then uh, what, what about Amen Thompson then? You think yeah. he's another guy you want to talk about? athleticism beyond belief. He's going to be a freakish athlete coming into the NBA straight off the bat. Um, yeah, I don't know if we had the chance to, to talk about him enough, but um, just l- looking at Fitz here, just going straight, I, I think if the Rockets are going to take one of these guys, that that's the guy I'm picking. Because it's not just the the athleticism. Because you pull that tape up and you you can name very few guys who are going to be athletic as yes. You can name Zach Levine, name Anthony Edwards. Um, you can think about like J- Jalen Brown, but I, even even he'll be more athletic than Jalen Brown. Like that, he is he is one of very few athletes that are entering the NBA. Maybe um, even Anthony Simons more athletic than Anthony Simons. You, you pick out the most athletic young guy on any team in the NBA, and he's going to be more than that. I mean, even Shaden, he he'll have whole. You watch what Shaden Sharp did in moments this season, and I think you'll you'll be you'll be hard pressed to decide between him and Amen Thompson. Like, which one of them has a uh, has more potential as like a as a playmaker, as an athlete? Because um, what you see Amen Thompson do as well is his pass. Yeah. Um, something that's very, I I can't remember a, a player like that that is so hell-bent on getting the rim, so hell-bent on getting in the open floor and attacking, 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 attacking. That is actually such a good passer. Um, that, to me, is fascinating. You average 21 points, eight rebounds, and eight assists with overtime elite. Um, and this is this is all, uh, obviously, every, all of these stats are, are they're looking at is per 36 minutes. But um, per 36 minutes... He leads this draft in steals, three points, three point one steals per game, um, and that's just a product of also what he does on the defensive end. I mean, he he's a guy that is very hyper focused, sometimes too much so. Um, it seems like he's he's a little bit too too willing to take risks at the expense of a defensive scheme. He's willing to do everything he can just to get on the break. But for a team like the Rockets that are that are really um, trying to define themselves around Jalen Green, I think this is a guy that definitely does that. Mm. He's a guy that that. Can you just imagine, like, what it would take defensively to keep guys in front of a guy like Amon Thompson, a guy like Jalen Green? That that sounds like a nightmare. Number one, in the if you miss if you miss a shot, and both those guys are screaming down the court, that <laughs> you can't keep up with that. You better have a rim protector that's willing to to foul out of games because both those guys are willing to get to the rim. You better have a defender that's not falling asleep for a second because both those guys have crazy first steps. You better have defenders that are, are able to collapse because, I mean, both those guys are getting to the rim. I mean, that, that combination there is really exciting for me because you put 
athleticism on both ends of the court. And that spells trouble for opposing defenses. That spells trouble for opposing offenses too. Cause I, I think Jalen green with the tutelage of Udoka, hopefully he can figure things out. Cause he's always, he's always shown effort. It, it's just the fundamentals. At, t- at times when it, when games get competitive, he's shown effort, but you, you want to see it more. Amen. Thompson, you're not questioning effort. You're not questioning his, his drive to be a good defender. And under Udoka, I, I think that could definitely happen. I mean, that this is a, a guy who's not only be a playmaker, but a defender and a human highlight reel. That that in Houston, they could have a show, an absolute show there with Jalen Green, with Amen Thompson. Yeah, you think the two of them playing off a guy like uh, Sengun as well would be yeah. would be uh, would be really cool, really fun, really fun to watch. The, the big thing with with Thompson obviously is the the shooting. That's something mm-hmm. that is is the major concern when you when you look at him at yeah. the moment, and it's it's also more so because there's very few people that seem to believe that it's it's going to be fixable. And are you willing to take a guard that can't really shoot three or can't really pull up too much uh, as a as a top top four top five pick? I think it has to be the right fit, and I think you you could you could do it in in, in Houston. Obviously, they don't have a, a, a lot of shooters, which would maybe be the concern. But I think if you're going for fit and you're going for what he, he could instantly bring to the team. I think Houston is a good fit, and I think he should be in the top, in the top five, possibly even even go higher. I think there's some people that think if uh, if Portland uh, take their pick, I think they they could look at get uh, look at bringing him in in in, in the three slot. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be very interesting, especially if if can if uh, Scoot Henderson doesn't fall. I think that's uh, that's mm. what the people people are looking at. But mm. the shots the big thing with Eamon Thompson. Outside of that. I think he's obviously still a raw talent, but one that could have an instant impact and definitely play an important role on, on any of these teams that are growing, especially a team like the Rockets who who have already got a good young core and they're kind of their young core is ready to probably take a, a bit of a step at least next year. Yeah. I, I think um man, actually Amen Thompson on on the Hornets. It, it, all signs point to them uh getting getting Brandon Miller there um, seems less and less likely that they're going to move it. But LaMelo Ball is such a good passer. I mean, he's such a good passer, but he, he's not a traditional passer necessarily where like it's, it's okay. Everyone gets set. Everyone. All right. Pick and roll. All right. Run, run a play pass here. This is the formula, but he, he's a guy that just naturally, like when you watch him play on the court, he is playing creatively in every moment. He, the offense is coming to him and he is finding angles to to get people involved, and he's encouraging ball movement not just in the open court, but in the half court as well. And, and that's a guy that just like magic happens, you know. Him, him and his brother, like him and Lonzo, when, when they when the ball touches their hands, and they get in the open court, when they get downhill, like they they find guys open, they create offense. And to have a guy like him and, and Amen Thompson, that the, the fun that you would see with those two guys in the open court, what they would do together in the half court. Um, having two, you know, positionless guards who, you know, Lamelo's a much better shooter, obviously. Amen Thompson, uh, you know, I'm not, I'll say this, I'm not worried about the shot because there's so many players out there that have fixed their shot and there's almost no players I can think of that if that playmaking is real and that, that I mean, that athleticism is real. I mean, the playmaking, if that translates to the next level, which I believe it will, I mean, it, you you can't name other players like that. 
that that's something very unique to have Zach Levine level athleticism first step. But I think he I think he has a better first step than Zach Levine, legitimately. Wow, <laughs> that's dude, that that is that is saying something. I, I think he will have one of the quickest first steps in the league the second he touches the hardwood, and for him to also be able to play make that you just don't find that. So I mean, you you first of all as an organization you hire someone specifically to get him to to be able to shoot the ball. You you hire coaching to to fix that, but you you hope that you know number one that talent does contribute in a meaningful way, and the shot finds its way there. I, I wouldn't be, I would not be worried about that. And I, I would draft him a heartbeat. And I, I think athletically, I, I have a tough time. I, I know Brandon Miller is, you know, the, the shot is there and the, you know, he, he's been a top tier talent for years now for a reason. I mean, just, he's a blue collar or a blue collar. He's a, he's a, he's a, you gotta help me out here. A blue, blue chip. That, that was an out I was looking for, a blue chip athlete for a reason. I mean, he he's that guy. But I I I struggle to pass over the generational talent level uh from an athletic point of view that you get from Amen Thompson. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Obviously, uh one of the coolest things about him as well is that uh, his brother is likely also gonna be a lottery pick in this. I feel bad for draft. him. He, nobody talks about Osser. Nobody. I mean, it, it's it's only like if Oscar Thompson was the only one, like people would be, you know, talking about him too. He's not, he's not quite the, uh, he's not quite the playmaker, um, and he's you know also a bad shooter, excellent athlete, but he's just a little a slight tier below his his brother. But it, it'll be really fascinating to see how that how both of them translate to the NBA. You don't know how much of it is like them. Um, like playing with each other, maybe there's a, a difference there. But yeah, it, it is it is interesting. I think the only other the only other lottery what were the Morris brothers? Were they lottery picks? China, surely were they? Uh, I don't even remember. I, I I I should think Marcus was was Marquise one. I, I'm not even sure. I'm I'm looking it up. I gotta find yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta look that up now. And then, and then yeah, thirteen. Maybe moving further down, what do we got? The the Pacers are an interesting one who are picking picking top ten. I think there's two players that they're going to be looking at. They're obviously in need of a wing, and I think the the main options I think they'll be looking at are, are Jarris Walker and and Taylor Hendricks. Where where do you see them going with that with that pick? Wing is the the, the spot they need to fill. Where do you think they'll go? Um, before I say that, I Markeith Morris and uh, Marcus Morris. 12 and 13. So they would be the second pair of twins, at least, the minimum. Um, but speaking of forwards, I I love Jairus Walker to the Pacers, mm-hmm. just straight up. Um, watching his defensive film is is pretty insane. It's pretty insane. If you haven't if you haven't seen him already, he's six nine, two hundred four. Uh, he's six seven. Sorry, two hundred fifty pounds, but he's got length. And he's got really good feet. He's got really good feet. I think that's one thing that really stands out when you when you watch this film for a guy that's two hundred and fifty pounds and six seven and a half. I mean, he just flies around the court, and he has such good IQ that he's already he's already predicting what the deep, what the offense is doing next, and that that processing is something that you don't always see um, 
from lottery talent. Honestly, it seems like a lot of those guys that that have that defensive processing, those are are typically the guys that are like in the twenties. You know, it's the more the more veteran players, not not a um, nineteen year old. I mean, this is a guy who's um, going to be. Tw- I, I want to say he's going to be twenty in the summer. I think he's going to be twenty years old in the summer, and he's a guy that already has the the defensive IQ. And that's just natural. And that is a talent. Absolutely. I think we've seen a lot of those, more of those uh, defensive savants um, being more recognized for their value, being drafted higher. But yeah, but what, what you can see him do for the Pacers is fantastic. What, what have we said uh, about them? It's the, the offense is there. I think they, they created one of the, the most exciting offenses in the NBA this year for a young team, especially, you know, what, what they did setting uh record threes and in, in games at times the amount of uh, ball movement they had how unselfish they were the spacing that they created it was just defensively defensively and and having a more dominant presence on the wing that was tough and i think Jar- jarris walker does a lot of that i mean defensively him alongside miles turner would be amazing mm-hmm. you know, walker walker's not gonna go out there and get you three blocks a game what well, walker's gonna go out there and he you could switch him on anybody I, I believe. I, I think he could play two, two through five, um, and he's going to defend in the post. He's going to be able to, to switch onto guards. He's going to really. He's going to be a very, very active uh, guy in help defense. I mean, he, he's going to be able to the uh, redirect switches. He's going to redirect uh, um, rotating off help. And I, I think having guys, getting guys that are naturally good on that on a team like that that inspires effort, that inspires movement. I mean, when you throw five guys out on the court and they're not great defensively, they're, they're not great on, on predicting movement and, and are not rotating correctly, like that inspires more of that. But having guys on the court like him, I, I think he could be a leader on defense for a Pacers team that are just, they're, they're pieces away. They, they've got talent on this team and they, they've got an identity that they're building. And alongside Miles Turner, I think he – and Miles Turner could really make serious strides to, you know, elevate them. I, I think that they, we, we talked last year, teams that could make a significant jump because of their rookie. I'm not saying Jairus Rocker is going to walk in here and, you know, provide uh, 15 points a game. I think he might score less than 10. But defensively, what he's going to be able to bring, I think could be kind of that extra, that extra ingredient that they need in order to really take this team somewhere and be in the plan at least. Yeah, absolutely. I think he'll instantly come in and be uh, almost a, a wing stopper. That's what they're looking at. And this guy's mm-hmm. wing, great defense. He's going to come in and be a wing stopper. He can definitely drive them up to being closer to a top 15 defense, considering they're the 26, they're ranked 26 in defense. He alone can come in and really drive them up that, up that board. And, and that will, Keep them in games that will make them more competitive. And if you see the growth from last year's rookie Matherin again, Halliburton t- uh, takes another step. And then the big question, if he can somehow hit a consistent shot, I'm not saying he has to come in and be be able to drop 38 40% from three, but if he can start to hit his shot, just get that a little bit more consistent somewhere even around like the 35 35 36% mark at least make other people guard him he'll have he's going to get a lot of open looks to the, the the way the the Pacers team were formatted and that does that turns him from being a great pick at number 7 to possibly being even looking at a steal if his if his shot can come down uh, 
come in consistently. But the defense that he provides, that would be a great addition to this Pacers team. And, and it's a good fit alongside a guy, like a elite rim protector like uh, Miles Turner playing with uh, with shooters like like Halliburton, like like Matherin, like Heald. I think the fit is good, and I think he brings a lot of what this Pacers team need. And I think he could have a really strong instant impact. What about Taylor Hendricks then? He's another another wing guy. He's going to be a really interesting player. I'm really interested to see where he lands. Cause this is a guy who's got size. He's got the ability to hit the three. And he's got real good shot blocking ability. 6'10", 7'2", wingspan. This is a guy that could really be a, a serious role player, if not occasional all star, if he if everything hits. So players players like that, like players like this, and players like um, like uh, we just talked about Jarris Walker. I mean, those are guys that you get excited about to to go onto to teams that are are building towards them that, that maybe already have that star, that maybe already have that system, and it, they're not sexy picks. They're not guys that you're like, this guy's gonna be a future star. But they they are have specific applications. I mean, is there a team though that kind of that fits what he would bring and that would make sense for a player like him to go to to number one take advantage of his of his potential, but also like make sense for you not to take a swing in the lottery. I mean, it's looking like he's gonna fall to the low like low double or the the. The first of the double digits. So I mean, you look at like the Jazz, or I, I think the Mavs are going to change change their pick. But I, either of those two fits would be would would be quite interesting. I think I think he's a guy that you could see going into a team that's a little bit more developed than uh, mm-hmm. than than Utah. But at the same time, a team like the the Mavs, if they have to pick, if they don't want to move on the pick, or even if they're if he's still there on the board, and the Mavs can select him and then possibly move him on. That's that's going to be very interesting because I think he's a guy that can kind of have that instant impact. His shot will will translate. He's got a decent shot blocking ability. He's got good size, so that's a player that can come in right away and have an impact. It's not just going to be. It's not like he's a guy you're putting pressure on to deliver you twenty points per game or anything like that. He has his uh, he has his role. He does what he does, and the the little things are going to translate instantly. So I think the teams that are more more set rather than still looking for their main man or looking to looking at where they're going to rebuild from are, are well placed for a guy like him. Yeah. It, it's fascinating because they're, they're Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks are like two different flavors of a very similar type of uh, star role player, um, a defensive minded, you know, kind of more, more kind of a specialist on, on offense, but I think if you're going to look at both of them, I, I would probably you're just always going to have a little bit more bias towards a a wing style player. I mean, I mean Taylor Hendricks is more kind of a a prototypical you know six eight super athletic catch and shoot type wing, and those are not a diamond dozen. Like this, is so fascinating about this draft. I mean, I I can't remember the last time there were this many like six seven six eight really athletic like guys that are able to, you know, play off the dribble and able to do other things, just not, not a lot of, not a ton of shooting. I mean, these, not a ton of uh, shot creation, just a a lot of guys that I think could be high, high, high level um, role play star role player type players. 
Um, and I, I think Taylor Hendricks definitely embodies that. Um, I mean, get, getting him to, if he fell to the, the Mavs, you really have to think about that. Um, I, I know, I know you'd rather, you'd rather trade the pick. You'd rather find a, a partner to, and like I said, I don't know if that could make a thing as real. Um, that was just a crazy idea, but I don't know, something like that where you're, you're getting in a wing who's ready to a little bit more ready to compete right now. But I mean, they, they just really desperately need young talent and they desperately need um, defensive minded players. And Taylor Hendricks is probably one of the best shot blockers, best switching uh, wings in college. And that is exactly how the Mavs want to play. I mean, I'm glad you brought them up. I, I wasn't sure if he would potentially fall, but I mean, to a team like that, it makes sense. To a team like, to a team like the Wizards, um, I, I don't know if he falls to the Jazz. I mean, the, the Jazz are are seeming to be in a, a slower build here. But team like the Wizards, not so sure. And I, I think actually, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I would take him or 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 Osser. I mean, I, I mean, Osser's more athletic, way more athletic. I mean, him and his brother are just um, on another level. But uh, the defense that he brings for a team like the Pacers, for a team like um, the Magic, team like the the Jazz, seems like th- those teams are a little bit more trying to to build forward instead of taking a big swing. But, you know, maybe he shows more than that. Do you, is he a guy that you feel like maybe has a little more upside than people are giving him credit for? I think so, yeah. I think his upside is quite high. And I think the the limits to his game, they're, obviously they're, they're there. But I think the, the upside is better than the downside. And I think he's going to be one that you look back on, I think, in a couple of years and think he, he, he you did really well getting this guy so, so, late, so late in the draft, even though he's, he's going to be a top 10 pick. Yeah, I'll, I'll give this one quote that I think puts this in, in very, very, very good perspective. Um, and, and this is from Sam Vecini. Um, the number of players six foot nine or taller who enter the league as plus defenders and plus shooters is extremely minimal. And this, this is absolutely true. I, I, this is kind of my general thought, so I just put it in words. It's Jabari Smith, Franz Wagner, Trey Murphy, and Jaron Jackson since 2018. And that, I mean, that that list is exactly true, even though. I think it's very easy to to look at players and then hear the word role player assigned to them and be like, why why would we take that in the lottery? But when you have a championship team, you're like, wow, we are a a athletic three and D wing away from being a very good team. That that's why the that's why you have really good role players. I mean, he's he's not going to come to the league and you know make crazy highlights and be a shot creator off the dribble um be doing any stuff like that but i mean he, he's a guy that for the right team um whether that's the the pacers um and in the midst of this conversation i don't know if i've just converted myself to maybe liking him a little bit more for the pacers than the jairus walker but i mean th- those are they're, they're very limited number of guys as clearly evidenced uh, by that quote there yeah yeah absolutely and i think it's a, it is he's gonna be a really interesting one i think what the pacers do it's it's a big, this is a big draft for them. This is a big call for them to make. They're, they're, uh, the I think we were both in the feeling that they're kind of right on the cusp of something, uh, something big in, uh, in Indiana. Do you have anyone else then you want to mention in the top ten, or, or uh, are we both, or will we go for our, our outsiders? What, what, what do you think? I wanna, I wanna hear your, uh, your sleeper. I've got, I've got two. My, my, maybe my, my safer one 
is is Grady Dick. Interesting. Okay. Why are you calling him a sleeper if he's going to get drafted in the lottery? Or maybe he won't. He might be he might be someone who falls. He, he so maybe that's someone a... to fall. I think that's at the end of the day, I know you call them lottery picks and all, but like outside yeah. of the top ten, I think anyone there from then on is kind of a bit of a sleeper. And I think a guy mm-hmm. like Dick, he's he's a great shooter. He's got high IQ. He just knows his position. He knows how to play his position down to a T. I think he's a guy who plays off the ball. He spaces the floor well. He has good anticipation off rebounds. He can read he reads the game quite well. And it just becomes the it's just all about the defense. He's shown slight glimpses of possibly the defensive attributes being there, but at this moment that the that's what's kind of holding him back. And I guess it's how much teams look at that and think that could be a real problem. Because that's kind of the difference between between him being a starter in this league or or a bench player. Because I think he's gonna be a guy who's capable of of becoming a a top ten even three-point shooter, I think he's going to be able to knock down his shots. And I think he knows how to play off ball really well. He can contribute without having the ball in his hands, which is always really important, especially in this in this modern NBA where there's so many mm-hmm. guys that are coming in and they're, they're ball-dominant and, and there's lots of teams that are playing with a, a, a single ball-dominant player. I think he works well in, in either situation where the, the ball's moving quickly and moves around a lot on offense or you're going straight to one guy, I think he's going to fit in anywhere. It's just a question of defense. His defense falls. He He's a guy that can hold his own on the court. Then he becomes a real, real worry for a lot of, for, for opponents. And there, there's the, the window for him possibly to even become uh, maybe one or two time all-star during his career as well. That's, that's what I think about him. I, I think I only just worry about his physicality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's one thing with him. That that's that's the knock. I think the I mean the the shooting potential is I mean just I think he he could instantly go onto um, a lot of teams. I mean if if you're looking down the list, I mean if if he can fall to OKC, they they are desperate for a guy who is a surgical off-ball shooter for a guy who's great great at relocating i mean there's a reason he's shooting over 40 percent off the bounce because he's he's great at pump fake relocate shoot he's great at um coming off pin downs he's great at as a as a movement shooter and that's that's something absolutely if you have a team that has that has the playmakers to make it work for sure um and i mean how far how far he falls could, could be could be really interesting it, it depends on on how some of these guys, if uh, if Keontae George, if the, if a guy like that goes up the the be into the lottery, if a guy like Nick Smith Jr. guys definitely fallen in a lot of these draft projections, a lot of it having to do with uh, his performance, I think in the in the tournament and also his size and and uh, defense. Um, if he somehow reclaims his his way into the into the lottery, if, uh, if a guy like Bilal Labali. Guy, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of uh, teams are looking at as a defensive specialist and a, a really wild card kind of play. If, if that guy goes up, there's definitely potential for him to fall. If, if he falls to a team like OKC, if he falls to a team like uh, the Raptors, um, to if, hell, if he even falls to the the Pelicans, I mean that teams like that really need movement shooters like him. That that would be huge in terms of a sleeper. Uh, 
I, I think people would be sleeping on his impact that he could have uh, on a team that's looking to win. Um, I, I was looking at, at a name that I, I only learned about over the weekend, and I think that it's he's a really polarizing player. Six foot ten, two hundred eleven pounds, seven foot two wingspan, can put the ball on the floor, flash shooting potential, and playmaking potential. Uh, played in big games. Leonard Miller. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard the name. He's he's a guy that I don't think a lot a lot of people are talking about. But when you when you just look at his physicals, when you look that he's 19 years old, when you look that he's 213 pounds, he's, he's not a big guy, but he's got a frame to definitely fill out. Um, and the fact that you know he's averaging 17 points, steal a game, and his free throw percentage is what kind of makes her raise your eyes. I mean, you, you, that's what you look at when you're projecting out uh, three-point shooting. And he shot nearly 80% from the line. Um, the guy who shot 54% from the field. So that guy, for me, just screams potential. I think, obviously, the there's a, a lot of questions about whether the, the, shoot, the shooting is going to translate, whether the turnovers are tough. Uh, and, yes, he had a negative assist to turnover ratio. <laughs> so you, you always question the IQ there. But for a guy at 6'10", 213, 7'2", wingspan, to be able to put the ball on the floor, be able to score, to potentially have the the scoring potential, the three-point shooting potential to be a three-level scorer at that size. I mean, that that's that's a home run shot for me. If I if I'm picking out right outside the lottery and he's still there, I mean, I I am absolutely swinging for the fences. I mean, it, there's a, a lot of teams there. I mean, you if he goes 19th, if if you're looking at some mock drafts, if he goes 19th to uh the warriors that would be really interesting i mean he's i i don't know how much he'd be able to grow there but i mean we've constantly seen people bemoan the warriors picking up talented players although it seems like it's not really working out for a few of them in recent memory but um i I think that's absolutely a guy that um team like maybe the heat maybe even the lakers picking up their Rockets pick again at twenty, but they're they're teams that are going to be able to to think about taking a swing. Most namely, probably the the Rockets. Most namely, the the Nets at twenty one and twenty two. But that is a guy I'm looking at. You swing for the fences. You hope that a guy with that size, with that potential, if he realizes even eighty percent of that, that is an all star just staring at you. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're you're very right there. I think it's obviously. You see where the limitations are, and you see that's why he's not getting enough enough of the noise. But at the same time, the size he has, what he's been willing to do, what he's built his game around, when there's not as much pressure on him to deliver it, and when it's when he gets the when he develops that bit more, if that if that was to come, like his his ceiling could be could be absolutely ginormous. Outsider guy I was looking at, and the name obviously was what originally drew me in, but uh, Kobe Bufkin, he <laughs> was an interesting one. I know this is one that was highlighted in the in the athletic uh, by by the athletic. He's a guy that is a very raw talent, but also has a lot of upside. He is a guy that I think could 
in the right situation, if he was given, if he, if you knew he was going into a situation where he has two, three years to develop under as little pressure as possible, I think that he could really thrive. And this is a guy that showed great growth in his second year in college. He's got the ability to pass, not not anything high tech, but he makes quick decisions, which is good. If he sees an open guy, he's he'll, he'll give him the ball. He's got great hands on the defensive end. Defense can leave a little bit to be desired, but he's got great hands. You watch his highlight reel, a lot of it is him guarding the guy one-on-one, getting a quick hand in there, getting a steal and getting up to the other end. Scoring is there. He's shown the ability to, to, to score in the paint from three. He's shown the ability to score on contact. Then you just question, can he, the size he has is good. But he needs to develop that. He needs to get a lot stronger. And the defense, if the defense can get that a little bit more, this this strength is the big thing because I think that impacts all levels of his game. But in terms of a raw talent, this is a guy that I think teams should be keeping a close eye on. And if you're going to be willing to develop a guy like him, I think he could be definitely uh, turn out to be a sleeper. Yeah, I I I think he probably has the greatest jump in stats from a year one to year two for, for a sophomore that, mm-hmm. that I've seen in a while. Um, and I don't, I don't know intimately the, the, um, the starter situation, the, the, the minute situation that he had there, but to go from 22% from three to 35% from three, to go from 0.3 assists per game to three assists per game, three points per game to 14 points per game. I mean, this guy, had a crazy glow up, and I think I think that that speaks a lot. I I'd love seeing uh, if if you're gonna pick a guy who, who is a sophomore or a junior, you love to see the the upward trajectory, and and I, I think that's that's something that um, that really impressed me about Jalen Williams from OKC is that people knocked him for being a little bit older, but when you looked at him in college, I mean, this wasn't a guy that was just like really good and call it like the, these are players who have perfected their game in college that have crafted their game and have shown you, I, I think more than just being like, Oh, I have potential. It's I'm willing to get better and I'm able to get better. I'm able to get stronger. I'm able to learn more. I'm able to become a playmaker. This guy's barely passing the ball to now uh, nearly three assists per game. Obviously we won't, won't talk about this turnover assist turnover ratio that we'll just, we'll just leave that alone. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But um for for this guy, where where do you think he he might develop best? A player like him, um, just looking at whether it's a late lottery to the early twenties, um, a, a player uh, of his caliber, you know, playing kind of that combo guard um, situation. Um, what kind of team? What kind of player playing next to would would really be a great fit for you? Like kind of looking at his highlight reel, looking at what he's capable of. Like what what team would interest you to to I think needs. in and around that mark, I think I like the look of the possibly the Jazz, depending on how slow mm. they are willing to be in the in their rebuilding process. Obviously, we saw that marketing come in and have that big that big breakout year. Is this does that make them kind of want to accelerate the process? Mm-hmm. If not, and maybe they look at marketing as a great guy to have around them. That one that if he sustains what he did, they could possibly move for other another couple of young guys or a couple of picks and then build around a, a younger core. 
I think that's kind of the area where I, I looked at it most because there's not many teams around at the moment, really, that, like I was saying, where he could go in and have those two or three years to, to really develop because you look at a lot of the teams around and they either already have their star guy or they are about to draft a, a potential generational player like like, like the likes of uh, of the Spurs. So it's... Uh, it's it's a tough one, but I think the Jazz are the one that I'd probably look at the most, uh, picking around mm. that that kind of like sixteen to twenty mark. Mm. I, I yeah, I, I I definitely I definitely would like to to see him there. You know, they they need they need to find their guy who's going to be you know leading leading their offense. You know, Lowry Marketing, I think could play could play really well alongside a, a true playmaker. And ha- when he had Conley there. I think that that would have been a great fit, but I, I'm curious if maybe you know the Nets. I mean, the, the Nets are our team that are trying to 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 develop around Mikael Bridges, to develop around Nick Claxton, and I think Mikael has shown a lot to not just be an off-ball threat, but to you know continue experimenting with what he could do on the ball. I, I think finding combo guards that can that can work alongside him. And to not only just be a pure point and a guy who needs a ball in his hands, but someone who can who can kind of oscillate between both roles and also compete defensively. Um, I think that that's something that they would be happy to explore. Um, yeah, but yeah. it'd be great if you can go to go to Detroit, get him home. Hmm. How many hometown that 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 would be great. We we always uh, we'd love to see hometown heroes through the draft. Unfortunately, Io has not uh, gotten as many shoutouts as I had hoped he would over the years. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm excited you, you pointed him out as well. That, that was another guy that that was interesting. But got anyone else before before we wrap up? Is there any anyone else you want to mention or talk about? I I won't create any inflation on my shoutouts that I've done here. I, I think those are my favorite guys. I mean, that there's so many so many players here, and I, I think that that's that's what's cool about the draft, man. Like I, you you find a Bilal guy. Everywhere, like there, there are guys who are super pumped about about Bilal's potential. I'm sure you can find uh, Anthony Black fans out there. You can find Case and Wallace fans out there. You can find um, people. Who may, maybe there's a Oscar Thompson fan out there. He needs a little more love. I, he has not gotten any shoutouts at all. I feel like in this draft process, but there's there's always going to be a guy that we miss, hundred percent guaranteed. And I'm always excited to find out who that is. Like there could be any number of one of these guys that ends up being the sleeper or the guy that we missed. We talk about Devin Booker, overlooked. Shea Gilders Alexander, overlooked. All these overlooked players ended up being great. We just saw one picked 30th compete in an NBA championship. One picked second round compete in the NBA championship. Talent comes from everywhere, but just being able to look at some of these players, I'm I'm pretty excited with the uh, the depth of wings, and I'm pretty excited that we're definitely going to get some trades on draft night. And We didn't cover it here because, dude – there's just too many now. We thought over the weekend maybe it would get a little easier, but nope. Still don't know. There's no clear indication what's going to happen with that Portland pick, especially now with Miami saying stuff like we're hopeful about Dane. So that could just take things in a completely different direction for them. But at the end of the day, man, that Thursday is going to be a fantastic time to to see a lot of dreams come true and to see a lot of uh, changes made. And uh, yeah, it should be a fun night. Are you brave enough to make a call? How many how many ch- trades will we see in the top ten Ooh. picks? 
Okay. Are we doing an over under or are we uh are we just whoever's go, go, closest? We'll go, we'll go over under. We'll be a bit general. We'll be general. Right. We'll go over under. I'll I'll say I would set the over under on in the first round. Let, let's say that. How many how many because in the second round it's gonna be like somebody like typical like Bulls being like, yeah, well, Bulls don't have a second round pick to trade for cast considerations, but I'm sure people are gonna do it. First round, I would say there's going to be the over under I'll set at three at three trades. I would set it at three. And I would take the over. I think there's going to be a lot of movement on Thursday. Yeah, I, I, I think that's number, a good be, mark, though. Yeah. I think we could easily see two in the top ten. I think that, that's very possible. Mm-hmm. I'll be I'll be disappointed if I'm not seeing at least one trade in the yeah. within the top five, to be totally honest. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's good. I think I'd probably lean towards that as well. I think I'd probably... Probably take take the over as well, but it's definitely going to be over. an interesting, an interesting night. Like you said, dreams coming true, new f- possible new face for the league with Webanyama. It's it's going to be it's going to be unbelievable. Make sure you tune in. Going to be very interesting with possible trades. We'll probably know whether or not Dane is staying in Portland after after Thursday night, but. Until then, until we are back again, that's going to do it for today's episode. My thanks to Chris for joining me. Thank you all so much for listening. Enjoy draft night. I hope you enjoyed our little discussion there. We didn't go too deep into it. We didn't want to pretend we are the ultimate draft experts or anything like that. But we had fun and I hope you enjoyed listening. Remember, if you like what you're hearing... Follow us on social media. We are everywhere at Coast to Coast NBA. Most importantly, remember to take every shot and love every moment.